Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're talking about exercise-induced acid reflux, which appears to be experienced by up to 10% of the running community. We're going to discuss the root causes of acid reflux and some management strategies so that you may minimize or alleviate symptoms. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back. I'm Karen and I'm here with Aileen. And as always, we're going to share something personal with you about our nutrition or running before we move on to discuss our topic for today, which is focusing on exercise-induced acid reflux. Now, as nutritional therapists, we are required to complete CPD training. So that's continual professional development training every year to top up our professional knowledge. So today's question for you, Aileen, is what is your training focusing on this year? Hi, Karen. Um, Well, you know, as you know, we're sort of like um, professional students, really, aren't we? We both love doing professional and academic training. And um, I find shortlisting subject areas is always a, a real challenge because there's so much out there to do in so many interesting areas that I'd love to get involved with and study more. Um, but my plan this year is to focus on topping up my, my knowledge on the latest developments in functional testing, uh, particularly in the area of female hormones, which is close to our heart, and also nutrigenomics uh, relating to sports and female health, because I think those two areas go very well together. Um, and then, you know, as, as a slightly different uh, topic area, um, I'm going to be doing a training day soon on nutrition to support older clients. Uh, so I'm really thinking that that's focusing on people in their 70s and 80s um, and possibly older. And uh, I'm finding, I don't know about you, but I'm getting older clients these days as well as younger clients. And it's really interesting working with them. And, um, you know, I think it's an area that, people are you know they're they're more interested in looking after their health for longer and so and we do change when we get into our older age so there's you know specific things that that group of clients need and so I think that all of that's really going to help 
support our clients at Runners Health Hub, um, you know, so that they'll age healthily um, throughout the the years that they're working with us, hopefully. And uh, and I think that healthy aging is something that we should all be interested in because it's going to set us up for the third age, as it's known, when we get to the, you know, into our past our 60s, I suppose. Mm. Um, but no doubt, you know, that's my plan. No doubt there'll be some other training events that I'll be unable to resist. Um, but that's my current plan. So what about you, Karen? Have you got any training plans to do this year? Yes, I do, Alien. I like the sound of yours. You know, it's quite varied, but yet it all kind of um, supports what we do here, like you say. Um, and like you, Alien, you know, I love attending summits and conferences and webinars, workshops, you know, just anything. I can really to keep my knowledge fresh and to learn about sort of current advancements in nutrition for health, but also for sports performance. And, and it's changing all the time. Now, historically, I've always wanted to attend everything and learn about all aspects of nutrition, a bit like yourself. But this year, I'm really trying to be more discerning and more targeted in my decisions on what to attend. And my first love in learning is always about sports nutrition. I love learning from the the sports nutrition scientists that I follow regularly. So I'm definitely going to delve into their webinars and conferences this year, as I always do each year, actually. Um, But I get really excited about it when I know there's a conference coming up. Um, However, I also um, would really like to top up my knowledge on the immune system and the musculoskeletal system, both still having the the runner in mind, because things are changing all the time, especially around the immune system and sort of the recent years. Mm. Clearly, all of this knowledge and our combined knowledge, actually, Aileen, it it will really, I feel, support our listeners here, but also our followers and clients and other platforms all linked to Runners Health Hub. So I think it is really exciting. Yeah, it is really exciting. and It gives us an opportunity to bring new information to the podcast episodes, uh, as well as for health and clients, as you say. So it's... um, it's quite an exciting time of year to plan out what you're going to do in the coming year. So, yeah, exactly. Looking forward to it. Yes, yeah, so am I. Okay, so let's start the topic for today, which is what, like we said, exercise induced acid reflux. And why are we bringing this topic to your attention today? Well, there are three main reasons, really. Firstly, many runners experience exercise induced reflux, which is not a pleasant experience and can really be disruptive to enjoying your running and also disruptive to performance. The second reason is that commonly people believe if they take steps to reduce stomach acid with medication, that will solve the reflux problem. However, what they don't take into account is that having suboptimal stomach acid levels could lead to nutritional deficiencies and in the long term to potentially other health conditions. And then finally, as we age, our stomach acid levels naturally decline. So it is really important that we take steps to try and optimise our digestive health to minimise any issues around absorption of nutrients as we get older. So what we're going to do today is we'll cover 
Why is acid reflux a problem for runners? What is the cause of acid reflux? And what can runners do if exercise-induced acid reflux is a problem for them? That's quite a mouthful, actually, isn't it? Yeah, I think we'll have to shorten that as we go along. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, Lee, let's get started. So can you tell us why is acid reflux a problem for runners? Okay, well, um, just to give you another technical term, uh, the medical name for acid reflux is GERD, and that's G-E-R-D, and that stands for gastroesophageal reflux disease. So if if you've got acid reflux, you might be reading about it, and that's the technical term for it. And it's estimated that in the Western world, somewhere between 10 and 20% of people experience acid reflux. Um, and it's within that, it's estimated that 5 to 10% of the population experience reflux or heartburn symptoms every single day. So that that's really debilitating. I think I've only ever really experienced it once, and it was once, and I was quite shocked, and I was really, it, it was quite distressing. So I can imagine if you have that every single day, it must be really really Mm. awful and you know as ever you know we always say this whatever is going on in the general population does seem to be reflected in the running community because after all we are just you know a mix of the human population aren't we so around seven to ten percent of runners um, seem to experience the symptoms and that's based on some surveys that have been done Um, so some runners may experience acid acid reflux um, in their everyday life and in which case it's exacerbated by running and other runners only experience it during exercise so that's where the exercise induced acid reflux comes in Um, but what I would say is it the symptoms vary from person to person and some of the symptoms may be triggered on longer endurance runs or races so you know, they might not be every single time you go out for a run. It's just when you, you're doing those longer um, distances. If you do experience reflux daily and it's not just associated with your running, um, we'd really recommend that you consult with a medical practitioner um, to make sure that there's nothing more serious going on. Um, so what happens with runners, it seems to be that there's a few um things that contribute to it and uh, when we run you can imagine the internal bouncing and jostling that we have on our body irritates um, something called the lower esophageal um, sphincter so I'm going to shorten that to LES because I'm going to mention that a lot today Um, so what happens when you have that jostling and bouncing going on it's thought that that may, may stimulate the stomach content to move up the esophagus um And those are the symptoms, you know, by doing that, the symptoms can really be quite distressing. And that's the thing that can make it a very uncomfortable experience when you're out running. And the severity of the symptoms do seem to be proportional to the type of exercise and intensity of the exercise um, that that people do. So there's a few potential mechanisms. um, And as I say, it varies from person to person. Um, so it's thought that you might have increased gastric um, acid secretion. So you might have more stomach acid um, that's causing the problem. It could be that you have impaired gastric emptying. So that's where the contents of your stomach empty out into the rest of your digestive system. Um, it could be that there's a decreased esophageal clearance 
Um, and also you might have a relaxed LES or a relaxed lower esophageal sphincter. And then the other thing uh, that might be a problem is that there's an increased pressure gradient between the stomach and the esophagus. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the biology of all of this um, later on in the conversation. But that's um, that's basically what's going on for runners, Karen, uh, yeah. those that are experiencing it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And actually quite a few different possible reasons for it occurring in, in runners and in people generally, actually. Yeah. But, but looking at that, Eileen, are there any groups of people that are more prone to experiencing acid reflux than others? Yeah, well, anybody really who's got uh, an additional pressure in the abdomen. So pregnant women would be one group. And it's thought that the, you know, the weight of the baby that they're carrying causes pressure. And that might force the stomach contents up into the esophagus. Um, people who are overweight, so it's a similar sort of situation as being pregnant. They've got extra pressure of um, carrying extra fat around the middle. And again, that could force the stomach content further up the esophagus. Um, and also, it's thought that older people, um, that the digestive muscle tone in that whole area just isn't as strong as it is when we're younger. And that might be another um, contributing fact. And there's quite a few triggers um, that um, ha- may may make it more likely that you experience acid reflux. So things like overeating. Um, some people experience um, reflux if they lie down after a meal because that um, gravity factor might allow the acid to travel up the throat, which is it's a bit sort of counterproductive, isn't it? Because often when people have had a meal, they think, oh, if I lie down, it'll help me digest it. Better. Mm. But then if there's somebody that suffers from really reflux, that could make it worse. Um, there are some medications and um, caffeine are also triggers. Um, smoking, too, uh, is an issue because nicotine relaxes the LES. And that, again, can exacerbate reflux. Um, acidic foods. Um, are, are associated with reflux um, and then we've already mentioned you know exercise can cause that extra uh, abdominal pressure uh, and that can again lead to symptoms so there's a few um, triggers that people might want to consider there are there are there are various mechanisms various triggers and various groups of people that are more susceptible potentially to it than others so if people were to um to suffer from this and they they did sort of um, go to their doctor or a medical practitioner, what, what are the typical medical approaches to treatment for this? Well, I mean, people sometimes um, do the DIY, so they'll go to the, the chemist and buy some over-the-counter antacids. So things like uh, calcium carbonate, tubal tablets and things like that, you know, and people will do that self-medicate um, if they um, go to the doctor it's likely that they would be prescribed medication and there's two um, types of medication that tend to be used um, and if, if you're on medication it'll be familiar with you so there's something called h2 blockers so they're a group of medication and then there's more commonly i think used something called proton pump inhibitors so shortened for ppis um, so those are the two typical medications that are prescribed. And it does seem that they're prescribed 
often again I sort of notice often with clients that it's just like oh yes I'm on a PPI and they think that's okay um, but as we know that you know there are some uh, potential issues with taking those medications because what they do is they suppress the stomach acid and then as you said earlier we you know it can lead to other problems um so what it does is it will help dampen down the symptoms of that burning sensation um but it is likely to be counterproductive particularly if you take them over the long term because it could be that that uh, low stomach acid is impacting on the absorption of nutrients and that might affect things like energy production muscle building and potentially the develop of other development of other health conditions such as bone loss um so you could be um, having a reduction in bone mineral density and that could lead to osteoporosis. So I think there's more of a tendency now for um, the medical profession to um, explain with caution that you shouldn't be taking these for years and years and years on end. Um, but, uh, you know, it's interesting just to bring that to people's attention, I think. Yeah, I totally agree, Aileen, because I do think there are a lot of people who are on these PPIs and um, sort of the H2 blockers for long periods of time. And what I would say there is if if you are one of these people, then think about going back to your GP just to have a medication review and speak to the speak to your GP about it. Because like you say, ideally, this should just be used in the short term, not the long term. Okay, so it seems that acid reflux affects many people in the running community as well as in the general population. And often people do turn to these medications as an intervention, whether it's self-prescribed or prescribed by the GP. So now let's um, take a look at the underlying potential causes of acid reflux. Eileen, what can you share about um, the cause of this condition? Well, this is where the, the biology comes in, really. So I think it's, it's good just to think about what is going on when, when we're eating and how uh, we digest our foods, because it sort of gives us some insights into um, why this might be happening. So if you think about the digestive process, it really starts with us chewing our food. Um, and when we chew our food, we have digestive enzymes in our saliva and that helps to start break down the food. And then we'll swallow the chewed, the chewed food. That's a, a long <laughs> word. Um, and then it travels down the esophagus into this, um, the, to, towards the lower esophageal sphincter, this LES. And the LES is, is, is a valve really. It's like a band of muscle and it's located at the bottom of the esophagus. And what that, um, valve does is it allows food and liquid to flow into the stomach and it's there to stop food and li liquid from refluxing back up into the esophagus and usually this is like a one-way route and the food is digested by the stomach and then it's absorbed into the small intestine but for some people if their LES is weak or relaxed that's when the backflow might occur and acid reflux happens when the partially digested food and the stomach acids and the digestive enzymes almost like traveling they're almost like traveling uphill back into the esophagus um, and we mentioned earlier that there are various reasons that this might happen but they all seem to lead to this backflow situation and those horrible burning sensations <laughs> 
And you can really imagine that burning sensation, can't you, when you think about how low a pH that um, the stomach acid has, and that's going back up into your esophagus and, and potentially into your throat as well. Now, we touched on the symptoms of acid reflux earlier, and and. As I've just said, you know, it's really unpleasant and, and there's this horrible feeling or that burning sensation um, feeling. Now, people with acid reflux could also feel like there's a lump in their throat or experience nausea, coughing and, and generally just have an upset tummy, tummy. So there are lots and lots of different symptoms and some people will experience most of them. Some people will just experience some of them or a few of them. But Erin, can you explain what causes this burning feeling, this burning sensation? Yeah, well, I guess people have, have, have worked that one out from our conversation. So the, the burning sensation is really caused by the stomach acid or the gastric acid mixed in with the food backflowing up the esophagus. And um, if you think of the stomach as almost like being a holding tank and the walls of the stomach are, are very, very strong. And so we're, we're really unaware of, of the job that the stomach acid is doing and the digestive enzymes are doing. Um because it's such a, a strong, robust organ, really. But if you think about the lining of the esophagus, that's much thinner and less robust. So when that mixture of food and gastric acid is, is getting into the esophagus, we, we're more easily going to feel the acidity and that burning sensation because it's not supposed to be there, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose what all of this leads to is the question, why do we need acid in our stomach? Now, what happens is the stomach lining that you've been speaking about, Aileen, it secretes these acidic gastric juices and enzymes, and they're needed to digest carbohydrates and proteins in, in before they then move through the digestive tract. Now, an optimal acid level would be a pH of around two. So that's really low, really acidic. Now, gastric juice comprises of a mixture of things. So there's water, there's mucus, there's the hydrochloric acid, which is the acidic part of it that gives it its low pH, pepsin, and also intrinsic factor. Now, it's important to have the right level of gastric acid to really ensure optimal absorption of nutrients as well as optimal digestion of certain nutrients as well. Now, if gastric acid levels are suboptimal, it could affect the protein digestion, like I've just said, and also reduce absorption of key um, micronutrients, including calcium, iron, folic acid, vitamin B6 and vitamin B12. Yeah, and they're, you know, all all of the things you've mentioned there are really important for everyone, but especially for runners when we're focusing on maintaining and building muscle and also for energy production and, and recovery. So that's um, just sort of bringing it back to why it's important for a runner not to have low, too low stomach acid. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, another key function of gastric acid is that it kills pathogenic bacteria. So it could help prevent certain infections and also bacterial overgrowth. So Aileen, we mentioned at the start of the episode, um, stomach acid typically reduces as we age. Is there anything you could share with us about that? Yeah, well, um, if you do any reading around the subject, you would find that 
aging is regularly associated with decreased gastric acid production. And and I guess with aging, you know, everything about us slows down, doesn't it? So it's not, you know, you can sort of live with that theory that that's likely to happen. Um, But just to give a bit of context, um, typically in healthy people, it would be expected that the pH of the stomach when fasted, so that's when you haven't got any food in your stomach, um, would be in the region of three, pH of three, and that would indicate an optimal function. I'm not going to go into how they the medical profession would test and how you would know that you had a pH of three, but there are tests available. Um, so what happens is that the stomach acid um, level changes uh, or the levels change when you when you move away from fasted into other states. So at meal times when we're eating and after we've eaten food, which is known as the postprandial um, period, um, the stomach acid would change. Um, and just to, again, to sort of give you some uh, context, it's thought that people that are on PPI medication would appear to have a gastric pH of seven, which would indicate an alkaline state. So, so that would mean that the gastric acid function and all the things that you said earlier about absorbing nutrients and, and, um, protein digestion would be suboptimal um so going back to how all of this might affect people as they're aging that there have been some studies that indicate that in healthy adults that the gastric acid production is the same in younger adults as it is in older adults and but they think the thing that um affects the older adults is that it could be related to other health issues like H. pylori infection. So what they're saying is, as we age, we're producing uh, the same amount of gastric acid, but it's been suppressed by other things. And one of those things might be an H. pylori infection. Um, And I also did find a study, um, and it, it was really interesting to read, and it sort of reminded me about how important some of the basic things are when it comes to nutrition so you know if you don't digest your food properly it's you're not going to get the best from your food but this study was um published in 2020 and i'll put a link into the show notes and it was called mealtime supplementation with beta and hdl for functional hypochloridia and what is the evidence they were asking and the reason they were asking that question is that often um with people that we suspect that there is low stomach acid, it's suggested that they take supplements with their food to help bridge the gap of of not having enough stomach acid. And um, what they did in this study was they reviewed some other studies. And one of the studies they reviewed was quite an old study, actually, um, back in 1990. And um, they they studied um, 79 healthy elderly North American men and women. And what they found was that in the fasted state, the average gastric pH was similar in younger and older subjects. Um, And there was a slight trend towards a lower pH, so more acidic pH in elderly subjects. But what they also found that um, they expect the they expected that the stomach acid would rise upon the consumption of a meal. Um, but what happened with the older adults was it took longer 
to re-acidify the gastric contents. It took longer for that to happen, uh, or it was slower. That's maybe a better way of describing it. It was a slower process to happen in older subjects. Um, so this has taken quite a long time to explain, Karen. I'm sorry. <laughs> what, what, what they found was that the, the average pH after consuming a meal was similar in the young and old um, subjects. But as I said earlier, it took time to reacidify the stomach um, in the older subjects. So nearly an hour longer to reach a pH of two. So um, that was just a, an interesting way of looking at what happens when we're older. I think it's that yeah. we, you know, we're making stomach acid, but it's taking us longer to um, get back to a, a state of where we should be after we've eaten a meal. Yeah. Yeah. So that fasted state level, it takes much long, longer to get back there. So does that then suggest that we should, and I'm just asking this off the top of my head, Aileen, does this suggest that we should take longer between meals to allow the body to reacidify so that we can then digest optimally when we next eat as we get older? Well, it's, it's, yeah, I, mean, I suppose it depends on individuals, doesn't it? I mean, yes, I, I mean, we, we always would always would suggest that there is a good period of time between mm -hmm. one meal and the next. And I think that's a challenge for older people because mm -hmm. often their appetite is lighter. So they, they want to eat smaller amounts more frequently. Yeah. Um, so but, but often, you know, when I'm working with older clients, I might be suggesting that they take that, that the type of supplement that was mentioned here because that helps them digest and then they're more eat, they they feel more comfortable about eating and mm. that because they they are digesting the food and it's not lying in their stomach as they would describe it you know it feels heavy because they're not digesting it yeah yeah it's really interesting and actually you know they said um in this data that as well that gastric acid secretion could actually gradually worsen with age although that in in the in the study um it was showing that it was it was the same level it it also suggested that it could gradually worsen as we get older and older but this can't really be readily detected in the fasted state. So, for example, independent of atrophic gastritis or achlorhydia. Yes. Now, this really confirms what we mentioned earlier, that extended mealtime postprandial hypochlorhydia could contribute to that poor protein digestion and that reduced micronutrient absorption, um, which also can um, can also lead to increased risk of dysbiosis, to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, or any other symptoms actually associated with this functional dyspepsia, so this acid reflux. So the the studies conclusion really was that it's it's not re unreasonable for integrative and functional medicine clinicians to consider oral supplementation of gastric acid in the form of that betaine hydrochloric acid that you were speaking about Aileen often um, given with pepsin to really help reduce that mealtime stomach pH. So in other words, to help restore it to the optimal level, especially as it is, it takes much longer to do that, as you were speaking about, Aileen. And um, 
And we, we would, you know, suggest again that if you if you do have any concerns, then do consult with your medical practitioner or nutritionist, um, who will be really happy to advise you on on supplementation. So. Yeah, and I think when it comes to that kind of supplementation, you do need some advice about how much to take because it, it varies from person to person. Um, but, you know, there's help available if, if people need it. Um, okay, so um, there are some other things that people might want to consider, some natural ways to support digestion and absorption of, of nutrients. Um, so, again, it might be things people are familiar with, but um, a good suggestion would be to take some apple cider vinegar and add that to either vegetables or salads, or some people are happy to take it uh, with some water. So maybe diluting one to three tablespoons in some water and drinking that 20, 20 minutes before eating. Um, another thing which is uh, recommended is, is to eat a bitter salad leaves. Um, so to make a, a little side salad, um, what happens is the, the bitter leaves stimulate enzyme production and bile flow, and that will help promote digestion. So the types of leaves that are very good at that are things like rocker, endive, dandelion greens, frizzy, kale, radicchio, uh, and watercress. Um, so, I mean, in some cultures, it's quite common to eat a salad um meal uh, or a starter before you have your main meal and perhaps that's why they're doing that culturally um, and then the other thing that is helpful for digestion is to um, eat some fresh pineapple or papaya uh, because they both contain a digestive enzyme called bromelain and having a small portion again prior to your main meal might be helpful um, so that's um, some interesting ways just to do things naturally Absolutely. And some simple ways, really, of just trying to support that digestive process through uh, stimulating the production of the gastric acids. So just to round up on, on this section, we've looked at the role of the lower esophageal sphincter, so the LES in digestion, and how it could lead to reflux if it's not functioning optimally. And we've also highlighted the importance of optimal gastric acid for protein digestion and absorption of some key nutrients and how also as we age it could be supportive to use beta and hydrochloric acid supplementation to support that mealtime stomach pH or try some of the alternative um, options that Aileen has just mentioned so and there are some great ones there really tasty ones as well but Aileen shall we just pause now for a short advert break before we move on? We should. And just uh, before I do that, can I just acknowledge that Bella's in the background jingling her <laughs> bell, I think. Isn't I was hoping you wouldn't hear her. No, I could hear her, so I just thought I'd have a shout out for Bella. She's here, yes, just saying hello, because she hasn't said hello for a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on to um, just a short advert. So, um, as you know, Karen and I take a minute uh, every episode just to um, shout out about what we do outside of the podcast. And um, as you know, we, we're just like you, we're busy working women and we run for health, fitness, achievement and a bit of fun along the way too. And um, over the years, we've had our own personal running performance struggles and that led us to think about how we could resolve them uh, with the foundational everyday 
healthy eating plan. And then we fine tuned that with sports nutritional principles. And we've shared that with uh, quite a number of clients over the years. And, And one of the ways that we do it is through our Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners program. And that's really there to help people maximize their running performance and minimize injury. And um, and we created this program and it's a, a short and sweet video program, which is very easy to complete. Um, you can complete it in 30 minutes a day over two weeks or you can take as long as you need to. And that's the beauty of it uh, being a video program. You can um, do it all in one go or you can spread the, spread it over a bit of time or you can go back and refresh on things as you want to. Um, So if you've been listening today and you think you'd like to know a little bit more about how to apply everyday nutrition alongside sports nutrition, we think this program's a great place for you to start. And we give you lots of information alongside some easy action steps too. So if you are interested, pop over to our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. Look at the top menu bar Uh, click on work for us and you'll then be taken to a page which is the easy nutrition for healthy runners page and that'll give you all the information about the program Um, if you would like to join us you can purchase the program there and as a thank you to you as one of our valued listeners we've got a special offer for you so you can use a coupon code uh, to get a 33% discount and the code is pod p-o-d uh, and that will give you 33% off the full price, which brings it down to 199 for you. Uh, there's also a multi-payment option. So if you don't want to pay in one go, you can do the multi-payment. Um, and we'll put the link in our show notes too. So you can find it there as well. So we'd love to see you in the program. Uh, part of the program also is to join our weekly coaching circle. So you can ask questions as they arise and get a chance to speak directly to Karen and I every week if if you need to. Great. Excellent. Thanks very much, Aileen. So let's move on now and cover some suggestions that might help runners if they're experiencing that exercise-induced acid reflux um, and it's a problem for them. So I would say the first thing to do is identify the potential food and drink triggers. So think about making a note of what, when and how much you eat and drink um, before you go out for a run and then reflect on any symptoms that you might experience when you're on a run. Now, you might have to eliminate some specific foods and then reintroduce them to work out what your triggers might be. Now, some people report feeling much better when they eliminate their trigger foods for at least 24 to 48 hours before a run. Now, it really is trial and error because it is going to be different for everyone. And elimination diets, I have to say, can feel overwhelming. So if that's the case, you know, you might want to um, think about consulting with a nutritionist to, to, to help you and be by your side as you go through that. And we can help. We do um, one-to-one consultations. So if that's something that appeals to you and you think would really support you, then Aileen and I are here. Um, and you can work with us. Another thing you could do is design your personal pre-run meal um, and during run fueling. So if you don't want to do the whole elimination of food process, what you could potentially do is avoid the typical food triggers we mentioned earlier. Um, Think about choosing easy to digest foods and small meals before you go out running. And 
you actually might also find that smaller frequent fueling during your run is best and and maybe in a gel or a liquid form. So we always promote sort of 45 every 45 minutes to an hour to have a certain amount of um, food. But for you, it might be easier if it's um, and give you less symptoms if you do it every 30 minutes, for example. But again, it is very much um, trial and error. And remember that um, sports gels and drinks could be the trigger. So do check them out and check out if they affect you and then look at some alternatives. So that's a little um, um, bit about how you could support yourselves um, from me. Aileen, do you have any other management strategies that you could share? Um, well, just some things that I've read about, really. Um, so they're sort of more anecdotal um, suggestions. But I, I read um, an article by a kinesiologist who suggested that a combination of sort of the, what's, what they call chiropractic kinesiology would help. And what they said is sometimes there's a mild hiatal hernia dysfunction around the diaphragm um, muscle um, so that's sort of near the, the rib cage and they said the stomach can push up through the opening of the diaphragm muscle and that um, that causes pressure and pain and other symptoms in the stomach area um, so if it's you know I think if you've got a acid reflux it's definitely worth um, looking at other practitioners and other therapists to see what they can do to help you so um, I would definitely explore that Um, and a couple of other tips that I've read about is um, one of them is is around sleeping on your left side and research has found that the valve between the esophagus and the stomach will relax longer for longer if you um, lie on your right side and that would increase reflux so they were suggesting if you lie on your left side you might not get as much reflux Um, so it's again it's worth trying um and finally um there was some um things that i read about what clothes you wear and that some runners were saying that wearing tight running clothes also puts pressure on the diaphragm and can exacerbate symptoms um so if you're one of those people you might want to try wearing slightly looser uh, running kit to see if that makes any difference whilst you're out on a run oh yeah interesting it's really interesting and some really some simple tips in a way that people could trial and just see if it makes a difference Mm. and progress from there sort of lying on your left side I think and I have heard that before now I think I learned that about that in my nursing days that everything within the digestive tract naturally lies to the left so yeah lying on your side everything is in a in in a more relaxed state or in a natural position Mm. so really that brings us to the end of our conversation for today Aileen but just before we go could you maybe finish with some of your key takeaways yes sure Karen um so the key takeaways for today's episode are um first of all that it's estimated that up to 10 percent of runners experience exercise induced acid reflux so if you're one of those people you're not alone um there are a number of dietary triggers for acid reflux including eating large meals drinking caffeine, having spicy foods and acidic and fatty foods too are all included in those dietary triggers. Um, it's important to be aware that the medications such as the PPIs 
suppressed stomach acid and that may lead to the development of other health conditions over the long term, um, particularly things like uh, loss of bone mineral density, which could lead to osteoporosis, which would be very serious. Um, if gastric acid uh, levels are suboptimal, that might affect protein digestion and the reduction of key micronutrients such as calcium, iron, folic acid, vitamin B6 and vitamin B12, all of which are really important for everyone. But particularly if you're a runner, they're important for muscle building and energy production and recovery. Um, if you do suffer from exercise-induced acid reflux, as Karen suggested earlier, you know, you might want to think about designing a pre-run and a during-run food plan that's personalized to you and minimizes the triggers that we've mentioned. And, and finally, it's really important that you seek professional advice from your medical practitioner or nutritionist if your symptoms per persist or if indeed they, they worsen. Uh, don't put up with them and uh, make sure you get some uh, medical attention and professional advice on how to deal with it. Yeah, I would agree, Aileen, some sound advice to end on. And I would just like to say thank you very much for chatting today all about acid reflux and the potential health issues around having that low gastric acid levels, particularly as we go through the ageing process. And just to, find, to, to finalise everything, remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband, which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. <music>